One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. I'm your host, Lauren Tilden, and this is episode 150. Today, we're back with this month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and today we're talking about Drop the Ball, Achieving More by Doing Less by Tiffany Dufu. This book is really a work and life book and how all about how to balance the two, and I personally had some really great takeaways from this one. But first, if you're new around here, let me give you some context. Making Good has a book club. Once per month, my brilliant book club co-host, Sherelle Griffith, and I discuss a book we think can help move the needle in your small business, and we share our takeaways specifically for small businesses. So let's talk about Drop the Ball. This book is part memoir, part advice, and really is all about empowering you to do something that many of us find very difficult, to drop the ball. The book covers the unrealistic and even impossible expectations that society has for how we, especially women, balance work and life and offers some practical strategies for finding ways to take things off our plate, even when that is really difficult. In this book club episode, we talk about the status quo of how households are managed, how to split responsibilities more evenly, the role of the mental load in household management, the difficulty and power of letting go of control why it's so important to get clear on what really matters to you, and much more. This book was a really, really interesting one, and I am so excited to hear your thoughts on it as well. Stay tuned through the end of the episode so you don't miss the book that we announced is our pick for next month's edition of Making Good Book Club. Just a quick reminder that if you want the updates on Book Club, you can sign up to get notified at makinggoodpodcast.com slash book club. I have to give you a little bit of notice today that for some reason, my dog was going absolutely bonkers when I was recording this conversation with Sherelle. I tried to mute her out of the episode I edited. I physically moved her partway through our conversation. And still, you're going to hear quite a bit of her barking in the background. Thank you so much for your patience with me on that. And I hope it doesn't get too much in the way of enjoying this episode. Okay, so let's get into this month's book club episode about Drop the Ball. Hey, Sherelle, welcome back to Making Good Book Club. Thank you for having me back. I love having you back every month. This month, we are talking about Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu. This is a different one, and we were just chatting a tiny bit before we hit record. We didn't do too much of that so that we can have most of that conversation on the air here, but I think we were both kind of surprised by the, the book and kind of the main takeaway, so I'm excited to chat through that with you. If I were to ask you what this book is about, how would you answer that question? So if I were to try and describe what the Drop the Ball is about, it's like part autobiography. So it's um, Tiffany telling her story of trying to like be a successful woman at work, 
be a good wife and be a good mother and really realizing that in reality, in order to have it all in a way, you have to drop the ball um, and really trying to use her story as a way to, I suppose, like inspire other women, educate other women into the reality of like how they can manage all those three things. Yeah. And I think a lot of the book is actually, I mean, it's, I don't think either of us expected it to be a business book. I'd say it's more of like a how to manage work and home life book. Mm-hmm which I think is useful for anyone listening, but it is very focused on the like significant other, like in her case, her husband, like her relationship with her husband and how they kind of divide tasks. I think that it's a little, it can be a little bit heteronormative in part. So like there's a lot of talk about men versus women. And I know that there are stereotypes that like often reflect themselves in people's real lives. But I think there's a lot of people, whether you are not married to a man and you're a woman or you are single or you, um, you know, whatever your circumstance is, I think there's going to be a lot of people who may not find all (laughs) of the tips that relevant to them. So I do want to start out by saying that. Um, even I personally, (laughs) as someone in a same sex, well, I guess both of us, Cheryl, like I'm in a same sex relationship and a lot of the advice or like the sort of generalizations about men and women, I didn't really resonate with. So I think there's definitely people who will take a lot from this. For me, it wasn't all that relevant. No. And I, yeah. And I think, so in my perspective, it's like, I'm not in a relationship and I don't have children. So realistically, it's like, it felt the complete opposite of my life right now. So it was really hard to imagine. So yeah, I absolutely agree with what you said as well about like the heteronormativity. I think there's lots of people, there'll be some people that will really find it useful. And I think there's a, there's a fair other number of people that's just like, actually, it's sort of too um, based around her life and her situation that it means for lots of other people, it's going to be like quite a stretch to make it applicable. Mm-hmm. I think regardless, hopefully Sherelle and I can pull out some of the pieces that are relevant for everyone or just kind of like interesting commentary on the state of like working women in the country in this, in the U S I think she talks a lot about, but it probably applies to many countries, including the UK Sherelle. Um, so the book is structured in five, I believe, different parts. And in each one, like you said, I think you said it really well. It is like part memoir. Um, and she kind of draws from her own experiences and changes that she made to share what we can all do to what she calls drop the ball, which is really to let go of the control that we try to maintain over like all parts of our lives a lot of times. Yeah. So I think we are going to go through each section a little bit and kind of maybe pull out any key takeaways that we had. So the first one is about doing it all. And this is kind of like the, I don't know, I guess like status quo part of the book where she describes, you know, she's telling a lot of her story of working her way up the ladder and she works a lot in women's leadership Um, and having kids and getting married and trying to do all of those things at like 100% perfection, like Pinterest level goals (laughs) level and just eventually kind of, and doing it all herself for the most part, like her partner was not really pulling their fair share, his fair share, um, 
in the beginning. So she's kind of just describing that because women are socialized to manage things at home, but then if they're also trying to manage things in their career, that's just like two full-time jobs, essentially, that you can't really do both of them at 100%, but we try to. So for me, that's what like a lot of the beginning part was about is just the expectations that we don't even realize that we have for ourselves to do Mm. everything at this like kind of wild level of perfection. Yeah. And I think obviously, like, you know, you mentioned, uh, it gets talked about a lot, like this idea of the second shift. And actually, if you're in her case, it's like, in many ways, it's like a third shift because it's like, actually, one is completely looking after, it's like go to work one. Then there's two completely looking after a home. And then there's three, which is like being the primary caregiver. And to actually do all three of those things, um, like that is a lot. The reality is that you know, how many, I don't know, what do we say, 60 years? Uh, that, that Before that, you know, it was just, you had to keep a, a really amazing house and you had to look after your children. And as long as you did those two things, it was fine. But actually now women are really trying to have like serious careers. Like you said, like, it's not like she's a low junior level, that this is a considerable role with a level of responsibilities and a team. And in order to, and she was like progressing herself. Um, that is a lot to be doing when you're trying to like, really that's three shifts, you're trying to do it a hundred percent. And so this idea of like, was really her experience, I think of trying to do that all, but also really feeling like, because now we're in a world where more people do it also really not like having the ability to talk out about like how hard it felt as well. Yeah. That's a really good point that there's not a lot of conversation about, Like we all just kind of try to grin and bear it and do the best we can. And we never feel like we're measuring up despite like kind of immense amounts of work that we're doing, like a full-time job for some of us, then a full-time job at home, managing the home and not having a conversation with other people that like, this might be unrealistic. (laughs) Can we actually keep up with all this? Do we even want to? Like, is there, could there be an argument for letting some of it go, which I think is really for me, like the big, biggest takeaway is that you cannot do it all by yourself. And so trying to expect that from yourself is kind of, well, not kind of, it's extremely unkind. And yeah, you're just setting yourself up for burnout and exhaustion and not being the kind of worker or parent or whatever that you want to be. So, um, I think the the overall takeaway is like decide the things that matter the most to you yeah. and let go of other of everything else. Yeah. I I really think this part of the book helped me really think about this idea of like standards that we set upon ourselves and some of them them are like from society, but also some of it is actually our own doing. I think particularly the chapter called home control disease which really made me laugh. Um, <laughs> and just this idea of like being someone who has like like you said like Pinterest perfect house visions of like the expectations you have about the level of house you're trying to keep and like that is based off either something online which is totally ridiculous or someone who clearly is just at home all day and that's their only job is like to keep the house clean and it's like actually you can't do that if you've got a full-time job and you're looking after children so I think there is this thing about actually how much are the standards we're imposing on ourselves are like required and whether that's been like from society or from yourself just really like re- look, 
are just not re-looking, like reviewing, that's the word, reviewing actually what is important, like you said, what is important and what isn't, um, and where should you be focusing and what other things really are not making a difference to the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. I think another big conversation in the first part of the book was about, and I don't know if she used this term, but what is often called the mental load. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a quote where she says, I don't mean to say that she'll be the one to do everything, just that she'll be, she'll make sure that everything gets done. Yeah. And so it's this sense that oftentimes, especially in heterosexual relationships, the woman or the mom or whatever, position she's in is the one who's responsible for not dropping the ball essentially Mm. and everyone else in the household assumes that that you know the woman is going to be the one who like makes the doctor's appointments and makes sure that the kids have what they need on their way to school and reminds everyone of everything and I think a big example I guess we'll go into this a little bit a big a big conversation in the book is just being willing to drop the ball and being willing to not be that person and, you know, watch other people not do things as well as you might or the way that you might and not being okay with that. So um, I think the mental load is a big conversation, but I don't know if it was, yeah, again, I don't know if she used that terminology, but just oftentimes it's not that you're not getting any help, but it's no one else has to, manage it basically like you can assign and delegate and people think they're being really helpful when you ask them to do something and they do it but there's so much pressure and um I guess just cognitive fuel that is burned by having to be the one that manages a household in addition to a career so yeah um, I think that was a big part it was a big point because also it's this idea like that takes up so much space in your head and like you said like yeah someone else might actually do something so even we would argue because you know through the book she ends up talking about the fact she does get help um but it's like she's still responsible for organizing that help and it's this like idea of like you being it's like I always say, like like house admin and life admin, and like I hate them both. <laughs> so it's like, and it's like that to the extreme. Like I'm really good at work. I'll do my business admin all day long. But this idea that actually, even when you get help, someone has to manage that help. And so if you're the person that's like, actually, yeah, like so, like my partner will do this for me, and like I might have someone else that does this, but I'm the one that's meant to remember, like all year round, every single day, what things need to happen, and it's my responsibility to call those people in and ask them to do that, and you know that is a lot and I think um that is a really good point you brought that up because I think again this isn't the thing is just like you know we can look at it on paper and be like well you're only going to work this many hours and you know it only takes this many hours to like clean their house or whatever but it's like no it's all of the mental stuff which also like that impacts how people sleep but then it has like repercussions on other like uh, the speed you do other things and all that type of stuff so uh, yeah it's a really good point you brought that up because I think that is that actually probably is a thing that even like I really was like I feel that and I'm not even in the same position as her, but the idea of just like always thinking like, what is it next that like needs to get done? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't remember or stay on top yeah. of it, that everything's going to collapse or something. It's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. I think one more point in this first section was just about the fact that these misaligned expectations of women and men in particular Um, have real career impacts for women. So a lot of women will burn out basically because they they'll not 
be able to handle these expectations that they have in both realms of their lives. There's a stat that I actually was so, uh, I want to use the word impressed, not impressed. So appalled by that I wrote down, which is she shared that 49% of corporate leaders that are women don't have children, which Mm. kind of suggests that they got, they were able to get there because they're not parents um, compared to only 19% of corporate leaders that are men don't have children. Yeah. And the kind of, I guess, line that you draw there is that men tend to have women at home managing everything for them, whereas women are managing all of those things. And so they often tend to sacrifice their own careers or drop out of the the career ladder, you know, moving up the ladder or... Um, she talked about like a lot of women just turning down opportunities because they don't believe that they can make it work given all of their responsibilities at home. There's a lot of conversation about what she calls a moral offense and failing to thrive at home. Basically not taking care of your household adequately makes women feel guilty. And like that's yes. a ethically or morally wrong. Whereas just failing to thrive at work, it's not a moral offense. It's like, okay, you're not doing as well as you could have, but doesn't lead to that same like emotional intensity. So oftentimes this means that women will sacrifice their careers and, you know, they'll say, oh, I can't do that. I can't take that job. I can't move up the ladder in that way because the only way that my home gets managed is if I do it. Mm -mm. I think the thing you said as well about you just sort of skimmed over it, this idea of women that turn down future opportunities just because like the imagination in their head about what that position will bring makes them feel as if it's too much and they're not going to be able to cope. And I think actually there's even us as business owners like are listening. I think it's a really interesting mm-hmm. one to think about, which is like, are you like stopping your own business growth? Because even just in your imagination, you think I'm not going to be able to cope if it grew. In terms of like, Mm -hmm. actually, I wouldn't be able to manage everything rather than actually like letting it grow and then trying to deal with it. Like actually, are you artificially and like stopping it too early? Because I feel like if people do that with their career, I'm sure it absolutely also happens with business as well. Because we're like, actually, and particularly if you are like a small business owner, because you know that growth will have an impact on you and it, it put more responsibility on you. And then, you know, there's more repercussions that you might just feel like it's just not worth it I, because I just don't think I can cope with it. So I think it's really something to like look at and see like, am I purposely holding me and my business back? Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but it's almost related to this idea of the fear of success Yeah, and how oftentimes like we would never know consciously that we're afraid of succeeding but if you find yourself being like oh well if something goes viral like I don't think I could handle that or you know like you say turning down opportunities or clients or whatever because you're afraid of what that might mean if you're too busy or have too much on your plate I think that's a great point and I've just always found that like you can figure it out you know (laughs) if you get to that point figure it out but don't hold yourself back if you can avoid it Um, anything else you want to say about this first part of the book, which is kind of the status quo? No, I think we're good. I think we're ready to go into something's got to give. All right. And I suppose this bit really, I feel like it's the bit which is basically like at breaking point, um, in terms of being like, this is not manageable anymore. I can't keep up with it. It's not, 
maintainable, sustainable, what other able <laughs> words you want to add in there? Um, and really starts to look at like one of the things she talks about is like what actually matters most and really making some conscious decisions about um, where she needs to actually like put her time and energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She talks about getting advice from one of her mentors mm. who said, you have to slow down and prioritize. You can't do everything. What do you really want? And I think that question is really important. Asking yourself what's most important to you, like the two or three things that you actually care the most about. Getting clear on that is what enables you to let go of everything else. Um, so I think one takeaway for me is just asking myself, like in my life, thinking of everything holistically, life, relationship, kids, work, business one, business two, podcast, you know, like putting it all on the table, what matters the most and Mm -hmm. making those hard decisions about like, you know, I might wish I had the bandwidth or resources to do an Instagram post every single day, but I do Mm -hmm. not. And just like, I'm going to release that expectation of myself because it's not like a, a nice thing to expect of yourself constantly things that you can't live up to. So um, finding your priorities, I think is what this, this section of the book is all about. Yeah. And really like she talks about what that means from like both a work perspective. And so like, what does dropping the ball, particularly um, because she's a manager and there are people underneath. And I think, you know, this could also be if you are a business owner and you have managed to start building a team, it's like we can have people that we can delegate to, but we're not doing it enough. And I think that's a real thing in terms of right. being like, you're like, I do it better. And so you're just trying to like hold on to everything. You're doing everything. And like, that was a big part of her being like, actually, I've got a team. So where am I putting my energy and time that's going to enable me to do the job that is the best as possible and really support my future career? And where do I need to be like, this is not adding any value. This is not going to make a difference to actually how I'm remembered at work or how I'm going to be actually continue to climb up the ladder. Yeah. She said um, a quote that I really loved from the book was, just because you're better at doing something doesn't mean it's the best use of your time. Yes. And this, (laughs) I felt like I needed to hear about 25 times over and over again. Like just, and not to say that I think I'm better at everything, but I do tend to be like, Oh, I could do that faster. I'll just do it. You know, I, I, I like how I do that, this certain thing, but that is not a good enough reason to hold on to something that can easily be delegated. I heard once someone give the advice that if someone can do a task at 80% of the level that you can do it, it's time to delegate it. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. Like not having the expectation that, if you take something off your plate and put it on someone else's plate, keeping in mind, it doesn't have to be done the same way and it doesn't have to be done as well in order for like the job to get done essentially. Um, so that was an important one for me to, for me to hear. And in the book, it's really evident. Like I've always known, like I had that sort of perception from a business perspective and like as a manager, when I used to have a job, but what's really interesting is how she talks about how that also applies to like housework and like looking after children and just like some mm-hmm. of the examples of the way that like actually we're like, you know, she'd be going away for like work. So that, and that's definitely like one of the things that was like 
she went away for work. She'd have to travel and she'd be leaving the children. And it's like, you'd write this mass, she'd write a massive list for her husband of like what needs to happen. And I'm like, he's a dad. Like he should know how to look after his children. He probably didn't need this massive list, but she felt that that was absolutely necessary. And again, like we see it with cleaning all the time where people are like, this, this is the exact way I need to do it. And so they're not going to let someone else do it because they didn't meet their standards. And it's like you are, in some cases, there are definitely people who I feel are making themselves work harder because like you said, they're like, this is my way. And they feel as if like mm-hmm. no one can do it. And there's a really, this story made me laugh so much. She talked about how, so she'd always picked up the dry cleaning and she'd um, delegated that to her husband. And she was like, waiting all day like is it gonna come is it gonna come it passed a certain time she knew like he had a client meeting in the evening so she was like he's never gonna get out of that and go pick it up and then there was a knock at the door and like the dry cleaning and she was like mad at him she was like mad at him behind his back because he like didn't do the thing and then the dry cleaning man's there and she's like what what and he's like oh my husband told my your husband told me to deliver them and she's like you deliver and he's like yeah (laughs) and she's like what do you mean you deliver he's like well you never asked me and it's like for years she'd always been manually going picking up this dry cleaning and coming home and actually it could have been delivered all that time and then that's like a really good example that actually even if you are someone it's like are there easier ways like sometimes I think we also are just doing things a harder way than is necessary and that's why I said before about if you get to the point where you actually are starting to get some like external help it's just like sometimes it's different ways that that could be a time saver like I can just imagine like like yeah obviously they got dry cleaning for a reason but if she's going to collect it and come back that was eating into a time or logistically meaning having to like juggle when the kids were doing something or whatever and actually she would have got to deliver it all that time Hmm. Yeah. The, I think this point she had some really great examples of. Another one was she used to be the one who always managed babysitters. Mm-hmm. So if she needed a babysitter for a thing, it would take her like multiple days because she had this roster and she would go one by one and ask the first person, wait to hear back from them. They said, no, go to the next person. And it would take a long time. And she decided to delegate this task of arranging babysitting to her husband. And he had a totally different approach where he could get a babysitter in like 30 minutes every single time, which was he sent like a mass text to everyone on their babysitter roster, which she thought was just like a really rude. She did not like that approach at all, Mm. Um, but it worked. And the people, the babysitters on the roster didn't mind it. And Yes, sometimes we might think others don't do things as well as we do. Yes, other people aren't going to do them exactly the same way we are. But sometimes like that, having that diversity of thought and, you know, like different approaches, different skill sets actually can make things better and more efficient. And that's something that we just don't leave space for when we are kind of doing it, you know, my way or the highway all the time. Okay, so we are going to move on to part three which is called Drop the Ball. And this is the part of the book where she starts giving some, you know, she tells her story of how she made this transition to a much more equitable division of labor in her household. Um, And she gives some actual real strategies for how she's done it and how she recommends people do it. So I think for me, I'll just start here and say, for me, the... The biggest takeaway here and the hardest part of this section is 
actually dropping the ball, which is if you delegate something and the other, you know, you've got something you used to do and you're taking off your plate and you're giving it to someone else, basically not micromanaging them and like being willing for them to not get it right the first time. Um, She gives an example of managing the mail in her household, like the snail mail. And she just literally, when she delegated it to her husband, she just let it pile up for months because he said he was going to do it. And he was out of town a lot of that summer and whatever. It wasn't getting done. But because she had delegated, she just allowed it to pile up and not let it be her problem. And yeah, there were consequences. Like they had some overdue bills and missed some parties, (laughs) missed some invitations for parties. But she is making the point that you have to be willing for that to happen in order to actually transfer responsibility. Um, If you are always just cleaning up, like if if she would have said that she's delegating the mail, but then her husband didn't do it for two weeks. So she just did it all. That's not actually getting transferred. She's still in charge of that. So the hard part I think of dropping the ball is allowing there to maybe be some consequences, you know, just sitting with that and, letting that process happen so the other person who's taking over like realizes okay this is totally on me now and I think that's really hard. like I would not be able to take that mail situation like <laughs> honestly that would have just given me palpitations I'm just like I do think it's really hard because I think there's a point where you're I'm like I don't know how she really managed to switch off and not think about the repercussions and I feel as if like that would have caused me more stress than harm but what I do really understand what she's trying to say in terms of being like, also, if you keep on just like doing it and then it's never going to get properly delegated over because actually most people get to a certain point. And like her husband did get a point where he finally did do it. It's just that tolerance point was a lot higher than hers and a lot higher than mine would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like that tolerance point, like you described, oftentimes in whether it's like in your home in a relationship you have with your partner, or it could be with coworkers, our tolerance point for certain like levels of imperfection is different. Mm. So it could be that, you know, for example, if your dishes are always if you can't stand having any dishes in your sink and the second there's one dish in your sink, you're going to do the dishes. That means if you're living with someone whose tolerance point is a little higher, like they can stand having some dishes in the sink. That means you're always going to end up doing the dishes unless you're like very clear about choosing not to. And this is the same with work. Like if you, um, if there's a task that you are going to do because you know, for example, if someone's helping you manage your inbox and you're seeing emails come in before they do and yeah. you can't stand having any emails in your inbox, like you might just find yourself taking care of it, even if that's not the best use of your time. So I think there is like a discipline in this, like being willing to um, allow allow things to not be exactly the way you'd prefer them basically in order to free up your own time yeah no I think it's, it's a real point because that tolerance thing like I can really see like my example is like I, it's not from like living with like living with other people just uh like other friends and the house shares and all that stuff like the whole thing about cleaning and some people are always going to end up doing more because their tolerance is just lower 
<laughs> and it's just like they're like I can't take this anymore I've got to do with it whereas if you've got the high tolerance you're always going to win <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. it's a real something to like just pay attention to because I, th- I feel like and obviously then that's where like you know you should say in the book there is the massive like generalization which would be more women are more house pride and therefore they're the ones that are just going to be like right I'm just going to do it and it's like no if you decided something's going to get delegated you have to hold tight <laughs> and sit down on your hands and just wait until they do it because they especially if they've agreed and I think that's the thing so so she actually sat down in this book and talks about how she made this like massive excel spreadsheet of all the things she felt she was doing um for, 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 like in the house and with the children and then she sat down to go through her husband's bit and they called it the management excel list but what was quite interesting was two things firstly so she wrote down everything and then the whole point was then start delegating who would be responsible for what but she realised actually how many things she had missed off the list. So her husband started to be like, but what about this? But what about that? But what about this? And so there's like two learning points from that, which is one, I think that exercise of it's really easy for you to think of all the things you do for someone else and not realise all the things they do for you. And so her actually having to sit down with her husband and then him adding all the things in, I think even that automatically would have made her feel a bit more like, oh, actually, it's not as one-sided as I thought before. And then secondly, like, getting it all out and having a real understanding of what it really does take to run a family and run a household. And I think, you know, these aren't things that come with a manual and it can be really, um, it can be really hard to quantify like actually all the things you have to do and therefore you don't know how to delegate it in a way or share those responsibilities in a better way. But this idea of like getting it all out and both parties really being able to see and then splitting them, um, I thought it was just a great idea. Yeah. And I think the key part of this like massive task list that has, you know, there are different tasks that have clear owners is the clarity of like, this job is owned by this person. Like this person does the dishes, this person does the laundry so that you don't end up with these like unspoken expectations or unspoken resentments of, Oh, I'm the only one who ever does this. Actually, if you just make it clear of whose job is what, like you don't have room for that kind of um, like passive, um, like negative emotions that boil up when someone isn't meeting your expectations this way, everyone's expectations are clear, you know, who's supposed to be doing what. So it becomes a lot less of like a emotional minefield, I guess. Uh I think the other part of this is she says, recruit a village. So just acknowledging that we all probably need a lot more help than we think we do. So obviously, if you're in a partnership, like having making sure that you and your partner are kind of splitting the work in a good way, but also like having family and babysitters and specialists, she said, neighbors, like being willing to ask for help from other people, I think is another part of this book that is really important, but really, really hard um, because we all just kind of want to be able to do it ourselves. But The fact is that people who love us and you can pay people to help you too, if you're able to, um, they want to help. So giving people that kind of position of honor in your life to say like, Hey, could you help me by like being a leader or like a, a person of like an aunt or an uncle or whatever it is to my kid or, you know, whatever, whatever. Like there's a lot of examples she gives about, favors that she asked other people and um myself reading that as I really always hesitate to ask for help so I thought that was a really good and important point that you know I'll 
try to think about. <laughs> yeah. And because sometimes it's like, it's not even like the most um, extreme form of help that can make a difference as well. I think that's the thing. I think sometimes it's easy to feel as if it's really big things that we all need help with. But, you know, sometimes it literally can be like, you know, someone could have been going to the shops anyway, for example, and they're just picking up something else that you just needed. And it's just like, they were going to go anyway. and I, But actually that's me, meant one less journey for you to have to make. And I think that thing of just real, I, the, the whole village thing I think is an interesting one because I think um, actually in a way we, you know, we have become probably more like isolated and separated and independent as a society that we don't necessarily, we feel like we're a burden to other people. But actually she just talks about how like for many people, they are happy to help. And actually it enables like a deeper connection to form between the two of you and all those things. So it's definitely not a bad thing. Like we definitely should ask for help more. Mm -hmm. Okay. So part four is called all in partners. And most of this is about kind of how to be in partnership with your significant other. She gives a couple of examples of like, oh, it doesn't have to be your significant other. It could be like, a friend that you live with and you kind of share tasks with, but really for the most part, this book is, or this part of the book is about like managing a life with a partner. Uh Um, I think, yeah, I think my key takeaway here is just about like being your best self and being grateful and trying to be like cheerful as much as you can. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading between the lines, but kind of trying to bring in, like to enter interactions with assuming the best intent and trying to be like the best version of yourself is kind of the best way to get the best out of yourself and also other people. Um, So just being really mindful of like the energy that you're bringing to your relationship and to tasks and conversations. I think that's, I'm not sure she used those words, but that would be my kind of key takeaway from this section, which is kind of like a common sense thing, but still important. And I think she talks to me like when she's talking about like, you know, being like affirming your other half and being like grateful for what they do. And I think it can be easy just to uh, like not really, but like clearly for her husband, that made a difference. Like for him, actually Mm -hmm. doing the task is one thing, but really realizing it made a difference to her and it was helping her to feel happy and stuff that was really making a difference to him. Um, And so I think there is a thing about, you know, some like really understanding what I suppose motivates your partner in a way in terms of being like, if this is what's going to happen, what's the best way and how can we both support each other? Because it is like, yeah, it is a partnership. And she's very clear that like actually in order to be able to uh, be successful at work and with the children, like it did take her having to really develop this relationship with her husband where he really was shouldering some of the weight um, and I do mm-hmm. think she's quite clear about that. Like that's why it's called all in partners. It's like actually um, it, it is very difficult if you are having to do all of it by yourself. And so a big part of being able to be more successful in her career was being able to build this, uh, improve the partnership of her husband and give him more responsibilities so that then she had the time, the space, the energy to be able to give more to work. Hmm. Yeah. There's a section in this part about um, like, don't buy the stereotype. And I think this is about like, particularly in hetero couples, this kind of stereotype that like, 
men are clueless about the house <laughs> and, you know, they can't take care of kids and the, basically, like, why bother? Like, just do it yourself because that's not really a man's, like, area of expertise is anything in the home. And I think she just talks about how this narrative is really damaging to you because you end up shouldering, like, all of the work, basically. Um, and also to them, like, you, if you believe that your husband, like, can't take care of your kid for an hour, like, I don't know, he might also kind of take that on. But maybe he's not going to, like, spend as much time with his, with his kid as he might want to. Or I guess it's just, like, don't have really low expectations of your partner. <laughs> yeah. Because they might surprise, well, they will surprise you if you let them actually do things. Um, and so I think this is, it's similar to a lot of the other points, but like just be willing to have things done, not exactly the way you would do them. As long as everyone's like healthy and happy and safe. You know, she talks about like her husband making dinner for the week and he's really proud of himself. And it was the same food yeah. <laughs> for every single night of the week. And like, that's how he did it. And he did the meal prep and like, she didn't have to do it. Wasn't how she would do it, but it is what it is. So I guess just like not not dismissing your partner and their abilities to contribute to your household. Yeah, that that food story just made me laugh though. Like, we're going to have the same dinner every single day. Oh my gosh, that's totally the way that I do it. I'm like, if I'm going to do the food prep, I'm going to make one thing for lunch every day, one thing for dinner. Like I, yeah, but... But also like in the example, I think that was quite a good example though, because it was something she really wanted to do. They always did the food prep on a Sunday and it's something she really wanted to do instead. And I think this is where like, you know, I think when I was talking earlier about, are you not going to like move your business forward? Cause you're like worried about like maybe even the timings and stuff. So it's like, you know, if it's something required you to like have to speak somewhere on a Monday and it's like, you have to travel on the weekend and normally you would always not do that. Cause you're like, I'm always at home with my family on the weekend, but it's like, actually this is a one-off. Is it like worth me doing that? And that might mean there's a bit of a change to the routine, but could the opportunity that that offered me like outweigh the like cost of the family? And I think that's, that's like, it was a good example of her being like, actually sometimes something that's not as perfect, but it, it gave her, she got to do what she wanted to do in order for that to happen. And the, the byproduct was she had to eat the same dinner every single day for the next week, but it is what it is. She didn't die. <laughs> Hmm. One point that I didn't really like in this section was about happiness. Ooh. And she, she says like happiness motivates everyone. And she gives three happiness hurdles and like how to break three of them. So three things you can do to like, I don't know, be happy, which is break free of guilt, respect boundaries and develop happiness habits. I think all of those things are important, but to me, it was a little bit dismissive of like, do you actually have any kind of mental mental health condition? Like just do these three things and then you'll be happy, mm. which I like being someone who contends with mental illness, I did not like. I think the habits that are the things, the advice she gives are great and like probably will improve your quality of life. But I do think there's more to happiness than like a checklist. So I would just make that comment in case anyone else reading read that part, or if you're going to read the book, like there is kind of a very oversimplistic formula for happiness. She suggests that I think is not great. So, well, if you didn't like that, then I'd love to hear your reaction to chapter 18, why we need men. (laughs) 
I honestly don't even remember what was in there. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why would you men? Don't need men. Keep going. Next. <laughs> What was that about? I can't remember that. That's what just made me laugh is I just thought, oh, um, I think she speaks a bit of, like about her dad and how her dad had really, um, he'd like had to like step up in part of her life and like was quite like an active, uh, he was quite an active dad, but I can't remember what it was that made him be an active dad. Um, but she really said like actually like when she thinks back to that and like her relationship she had with her dad and um then when she got married, like he sort of like clearly like really like passed the baton on over to her husband. Um, mm. So that's why I was thinking you're going to be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely some like gender. I don't know. She acknowledges gender stereotypes, but also like I, I mean, do think the book is probably going to connect most with people who are in heterosexual partnerships. Yeah. Um, which I know is not everyone listening and is not you and is not me. So yeah. Shall we move on to the fifth and final part of the book? Yes. Let's look ahead. <laughs> yes. So my kind of main takeaway from this is like, she has something that she calls the four go-tos, mm. which are, basically just kind of like four habits for thriving, I guess, in your life and in your career. Um, Really more about your career, I would say. So the four are go to exercise, which builds your stamina, go to lunch, which doesn't actually have to be lunch, but like, you know, go meet with people to build your network, go to events, which could be online or in person to build your visibility, and then go to sleep to build your renewal. So that was just Interesting. I always love a good, like, you know, self-improvement formula. So I took note on that. And I think it sort of like helps you to focus because actually one, it's quite interesting because she really took like that lunch one quite seriously. I think she went to like either two or three a week. And that I know, particularly if we think about women in a career, is a thing that um, you there's loads of arguments to say like actually for loads of business things it used to be all like about things at night and there'd be loads of events in the evening and women would go home and so they wouldn't be part of that and that's what like was stagnating their careers and I think it can also be like it could be similar for a business owner in terms of being like are you somewhere that if you have like an in-person business or you want to do business in your local area all of your networking things like breakfast ones so we have them here where people ask I go to like ones in the evening people are like you need to come to this one in the morning I'm like I am not going <laughs> But if I actually was a mum, because I'm just like, I'm not getting up that early, you're crazy. But if I was a mum that was like, actually, this is my, I have to do the drop off. This is, I'm losing out on that, like, you know, the networking and the visibility thing, because I'm, I'm always missing out on the opportunity. So therefore she couldn't do morning breakfast. So that's why she made that dedication to doing lunch instead. And I do think Mm -hmm. there's, um, you know, you have to be aware of if you, have got children and you, you know, you are like, have a a certain amount of time is dedicated to them with the time that is not, how can you be using that the best for your business? Because I think that's the point. So she was using it to further her career. So that's why she knew it was really important to network, to keep being visible. But what do you need to do? And it could be, for example, like we said, like those events, it could be online thing. Like it could be actually, you know, you physically do not have the time um, to be able to go to things or maybe you're like too remote. So going to in-person things is really hard, but they could be like, actually, I can go to something online and I can make that commitment or like you can do your own marketing. There's like different ways for you to make sure within the 
uh, like restrictions and the boundaries that you have, that you are making the most of the opportunity and not just like not progressing because you're not pushing yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think networking was a big like theme in the book, basically, yeah. of how like one way to sort of further yourself in your career or your life or business or whatever, just like putting effort into building relationships with people. Um, yeah. I For think- her, it was so evident because the relationships was both things. So she had this circle of like her mentors, the people that she would always go to ask for questions when she was in like hard times. And that was hard times in life and as well as like professionally. And then also this idea of like being able to like have that network, which was the village to be able to actually support her with things. And again, really have a network that helped her to move up in a career. And I think it's, it can be really easy. I think when you are like a mum to just be like, just sort of like, cause you're spending a lot more time just either trying to do all the stuff you need to do or being with the children and looking after your house that you're not, not really thinking about, well, what's the like, how do I keep making myself visible? How do I keep maintaining all of my relationships? Because that's what you actually need in order to like keep moving forward. So I, I definitely thought, um, her approach to it as well. So it's like, like sort of give up the guilt that you might not be able to do it in the same way as other people might do it. Um, so yeah, like if you can't go to breakfast meetings, you can't go to breakfast meetings. But as long as you found an alternative that works for you and it's like ticking that box, then you're all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of the way you were saying that makes me think that a big theme in the book that wasn't really said or like outright, but it's just like kind of being a creative thinker about how to solve problems. Mm. Like if you can't make a certain meeting, like how can you get your networking time in other ways? Or if you, you know, for, we didn't even mention this, but her husband lived in Dubai while she lived in New York for like several years and she had kids. So like there were so many different creative problem solving things that they had to do in order to actually still split the housework, even though her husband wasn't physically there, which they did come up with some solutions for. So just looking at your life and your circumstances and saying like, if I want this to be different, like how can I just apply a little bit of creative thinking to it and see what might be possible that I'm not considering right now. Any other, before we get into like our key takeaways, any other bits from this final section of the book you want to mention? I don't think so. I feel as if that was like my main, like those go-to falls with the like that clearly was her system. And I suppose the thing is just, it might be different for you. In the same way, like actually we didn't mention earlier, like she had like a couple compass and they really, really like sat down and was like, these are our values and this is what we're going to like make all our decisions by. I felt like her go go to for things with the same sort of thing. It's really like understanding what your priorities are and then using them as like your North Star because that's how she then was like, well, I can't do everything, but if I'm doing these things, that means I'm doing, I'm using, uh, like my time to the best of it. I'm actually focusing on what matters. Mm-hmm. So what were your key takeaways or any key takeaways that you would offer small business owners as a result of having read this? So I would say if you are someone that does have children right now and you have a partner is really look, and actually, you know what I think would probably be quite interesting is people that work at home as well because I can imagine Mm -hmm. then that like house workload is even higher than someone who like in her situation someone that worked away from home um it's just really like actually looking at how are you and your partner splitting out all the responsibilities around a household and around running a family and really ensure that it is a 
like it feels like a fair split um like i think it was a really interesting exercise i did think that spreadsheet would be really interesting to do with if i had another half i'd give it a go <laughs> um mm-hmm. and again also really thinking about the how to maximize like the time you actually do have and really put your energy and focus in the in the right places like the reality is you do not, there was no if, buts or maybes about it. If you have got a second shift and you've got a third shift, your time within a business is going to be different. Like, you know, I always say to people all the time, like it's quite, when you love them, was like, oh, I can't do an Instagram post every day. And people are like, well, sure, you're doing Instagram post every day. Because it's me. Like, <laughs> I don't have any responsibilities. To, but I'm really honest. Like I always say to most of my clients, like I'm, I don't have any responsibilities to anyone else. So my level of output can be very different. So it's like, actually just be really honest. If you've got a second shift, if you've got a third shift, right. Actually, what do I have that I can dedicate to this this business? And really what is going to be important? What is going to help me to actually keep on growing this business, to have a business that I'm happy with, to like make sure it's like financially viable and it works for you and the rest of your family. Um, And I think that's the thing. It was like dropping the ball is really about like getting rid of the things that don't make a difference. And that's the thing is I think all of us have a very long to-do list and some of those things are really important and some of them aren't. And it's like really getting focused on what should I be, what should I be focusing on? Like what's important to make me be a really good parent? What's important for me to make sure I'm being a good partner and what's important for me to make sure like I'm running my business the best I can. Yeah. So good. I think my, if I could give two takeaways, um, one would be about done is better than perfect. So Mm -hmm. giving yourself the things that are like, okay, I want to do this really, really well. I wouldn't say perfect, but like, these are the two (laughs) areas of my life that like, I'm going to go all out on. And then just like being willing to not be a perfectionist about pretty much anything else in your life. So an example she gave is like her kids' Valentines to bring to school, <laughs> you know, like, and I, re- I relate to this, like, oh, I'm going to do like handmade and they're going to be so gorgeous and like this and that. And she ended up just going to Staples and getting construction paper and like not feeling like every single thing you do, you need to go all out to the nines, which I really do relate to that instinct to like, like I'm about to later today, like literally hand weave a Christmas stocking that I just do not need to do, but like I decided to for some reason. So I was was going to say, I can imagine for you as well, like, and particularly anyone who's like a creative or a maker that's listening, I imagine that tendency is even higher because it's like actually every single thing can become a project. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Also have a bunch of oranges on my counter right now to slice and make a garland out of with dry. Anyway, honestly, (laughs) I know, honestly, (laughs) honestly, honestly. Um, So I think that was a good one is like being willing to do it at like an 80% level, unless it's something that is really, 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 really important to you. Um, And I think my second takeaway is related to that, which is that the benefit of doing this is that you can actually make the difference you want to make in the world because you're spending that effort that you're not spending on things that don't matter on Mm. what does matter and what, you know, the kind of parent you want to be the biggest impact things you can do in your career. Um, what actually matters to you. So I think, yeah, getting clear on what matters and then going all out on that and really just letting other things go. It's really, really hard. Um, but I think 
yeah, I think this book made a very good case for what can happen when you do that and how, I don't know, how to build partnership with someone and in a real way that's like a real partnership. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that if you did read this book and you feel like you're doing the lion's share of the housework or the parenting or whatever it is that you've got some strategies because it's not sustainable. No, not sure. And if you did listen, of all the books probably we've ever read, I would really like to hear what people thought. I'm yeah. really, like, I'm really intrigued. Obviously, me and Lauren are both really honest about the fact it clearly it's not really make, like we don't fit the model of her, um, and therefore I think it would be really nice to hear someone who is in that situation. And let's see if you did find it useful and was really like, yes, this spoke to me, and I'm going to use it and follow it. Mwah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I would love to hear, but also I would say like despite the fact that I'm not totally in the circumstances of mm-hmm. who I think the the main audience that she's writing to is, I still did take away a bunch of things from it. And I think yep. that's something that I would just encourage everyone to, I don't know, approach learning with is like, you don't have to take everything. Like if you can take one or two things that like you think about and um, impact you in some way, like that's still when still totally worthwhile. So I, it was good to read despite it not being like a perfect fit for me, I would say. (laughs) No, I'd agree. And I always say, if you get one or two nuggets from a book, it's been worth it as long as you actually like apply it. And I definitely did get some things that I thought, actually, I can really use this. So it was not a wasted time for sure. Perfect. So what are we doing next? So I am so excited about this book. So when Lauren originally mentioned this book, I was like, And then we went online and we realized a new version is coming out. So we're reading the even better, adapted, bigger, bolder, brighter, whatever extra word we want to add on there. So the book is Everybody Right by Anne Hadley. Um, And as someone who's never classed myself as a writer, I'm so excited for this book, Lauren. Yes, I'm so, so, so excited to cover this one. So the subtitle is It's Everybody Writes, Your Go-To Guide to Creating Ridiculously Good Content. And this is about copywriting. It's about writing for things in your business. It's about storytelling. And Anne Hanley is someone who I used to just consume her content on marketingprofs.com when I like worked in the corporate world as a marketer. Like religiously, she's she knows her stuff. She's such a great writer. She's a very accomplished copywriter. So I am so excited to cover this book because I think You know, we've done some books recently that aren't super tactical for business, like Mm -hmm. for running your business. And this one is absolutely the kind of thing where like, I don't know, if you read this book, I think it will change your writing. We're going to have a lot of notes. That's what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, I think it might be a long episode or maybe like a two-parter. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) That's how excited I am about this book. So I'm really can't wait to chat with you about that. So pick up a copy of Everybody Writes. We will be covering that in the episode that comes out in January. Um, Sherelle, thank you so much. As always, this has been a really interesting conversation. And um, yeah, I just love, I love having these conversations with you because we do always take away such drastically different things. So I love hearing what stood out to you. And yeah, this is an interesting one for me. Well, I love talking to you because I always believe you get more out of a book when you talk to someone else because, yeah, someone else always puts up a different angle and it always helps you to like remember more stuff and retain it and see something you missed. So thank you very much for having me back. 
So there you have our book club conversation about Drop the Ball. I know I took away quite a few tidbits from this book that have me thinking about the way that I show up in my life and business, and I hope that the same is true for you. If you read the book, I know Sherelle and I would both love to hear from you. You can DM us on Instagram and let us know your thoughts. We would love to chat. I'm at Lauren Tilden, that's L-A-U-R-E-N-T-I-L-D-E-N, and Sherelle is at Sherelle Griffith, that's C-H-A-R-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. You can find details from the podcast on the show notes page at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 150, that's 150. Now, as you heard in the episode, we have announced our book for next month's edition of Making Good Book Club, and that is... Everybody Writes, Your Go-To Guide to Creating Ridiculously Good Content by Anne Hanley. I am so excited about this one. I feel genuinely giddy about it. I've been an Anne Hanley fan for probably at least 10 years. I used to read her content religiously in my old corporate marketing days, and this book will help us all become better business writers, storytellers, and content marketers. And I am so, so, so ready to dive in. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be grateful to have your support. Here are three ways that you can give back to making good. First, I would be honored if you'd leave a rating and review in your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to subscribe or follow. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast episode. Second, if you have a friend that you think would enjoy the podcast, you can send them the link. This episode in particular is makinggoodpodcast.com slash 150. And finally, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your podcast player while you're listening and tag me on social media at Lauren Tilden and Sherelle at Sherelle Griffith. We'd love to connect with you. Thank you for being here and for focusing on making a difference with your small business. Talk to you next time.